7.32. So Sydney scientists have developed a world-first COVID-19 diagnostic tool to help frontline healthcare workers rapidly identify patients. This free online program trains doctors to spot COVID-19 through CT scans. For further discussion, let's bring in Professor Patrick Brennan of the University of Sydney School of Health Sciences, Faculty of Medicine and Health and CEO of Startup Detected X, who took part in developing this tool. Thank you for joining us. We do need to just take an extra moment to uh, welcome Professor Brennan on the line. The story of CT scanning and this outbreak goes back to China. I mean, there was that point uh, in China's outbreak where they changed their way of doing diagnostics and when they started using more CT scans, which was an interesting development. Uh, We are also seeing so many different kinds of reports on what might help. For example, also from Australia, trying to develop the possibility of uh, anti-parasitic medication to uh, to treat coronavirus, or indeed looking at some of the other underlying factors, like whether you've been uh, inoculated for conditions like tuberculosis, whether that helps protect you in the future against something like COVID-19. Uh, so, Professor Brennan, I was just saying that there's just a lot of area of research rapidly happening at the moment, and you are among them. I believe we can say good morning to you now. Good morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining us. What's going on in Australia? Australia does keep coming up time and time again at the uh, the forefront of this investigation. Um, is there something particularly beneficial about the circumstances there? Are you all just pushing each other on to find a cure? I think well, Australia is always a very innovative place, and um, you know, we um, I work at the University of Sydney, and um, my university like to. The other universities uh, around me are, are um, full of very, very clever people who are trying to um, address this dreadful disease that we're all facing. Let's talk a bit more about the Australia situation generally, though, because it's, it's not that Australia has been among, among the countries that have been most sorely affected. Uh, it, its concern is uh, it, it seems to be for the globe itself. Yeah, well, certainly the innovation that we're, we're involved in, this um, tool that we have developed um, through the University of Sydney and through Detected X, um, is aimed at improving and making available, improving diagnosis and um, people's awareness of the appearances of this disease on lung CT. And we've partnered with GE and GE Healthcare and Amazon, Volpara, WCAA and other world bodies, because it's not just about helping people in Australia, we want to do that, but um, with the, in the global world that we live in, it's um, relatively straightforward often to extend the work we're doing in Australia to l- allow people anywhere um, to avail of our research findings. So for this tool, for example, um, it's all that people anywhere have to do, whether they're in Seoul or whether in Hanoi or Uganda or wherever, all they have to do is log on um, to um, a website and within minutes they're, they're, doing, they're participating in this tool. So what would typically happen? A doctor in Seoul, let's say, sees this and has a CT scanner ready for, its, for their patient. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what would happen, this is, and, and doctors in in. Um, South Korea are currently using this tool. It was launched last Monday and it's already reached 120 countries. And what a doctor in Seoul would do is say, 
it consists of three parts. They simply um, register on the website. It's free, free to clinicians everywhere. Web- uh, register on the website. They look at CT scans that we have put up on the into the platform that we know the truth of. We know which ones have got occurrence of COVID and those that don't. Um, we get their clinician in Seoul to look at these. It takes them about maybe half an hour to an hour to diagnose um, these cases. And then they get a score. It tells them how good they are compared with clinicians in Korea, compared with clinicians in uh, Southeast Asia, compared with clinicians in the world. And then the third part of it, and this is the clever part, if you like, is that the algorithms behind the scene have been monitoring um, that clinician's interactions with the images, their judgments with those images, and then are comparing that with a consensus um, opinion of those images. So clinicians can immediately see whether they're right, whether they're wrong, and how to improve. Is it guaranteed that you're going to be able to see COVID-19 in an early CT scan uh, when the virus might be largely contained in the upper respiratory tract or in the nasal passages or or however else this virus decides to operate? Yeah. Well, you see, ours, just to be clear, this is not a diagnostic tool. It's not a tool where you put cases into and, and get, it's not an AI tool to diagnose. It's an AI tool to improve human detection of the disease because we're not, um, what we believe is that for the next number of years, uh, COVID-19 or any other diseases, AI will start to increase in terms of diagnosis. But um, at the moment, at this time right now, humans generally are making the diagnosis. And therefore, what we're doing with our AI algorithms is improving human detection of the disease. We're not saying it's a primary, that CT is a primary diagnostic tool. And in fact, if you look at the, the, the Royal College's um, statements on this and the American College of Radiology's statements on this, we're not using, um, lung CT is not a primary diagnostic tool of COVID-19 because you can have uh, low sensitivity in, in, in certain instances. But what it is, is a very, very necessary tool for allowing you to evaluate the stage of the disease, the progression yes. of the disease, the severity of the disease and where the disease is. And that's what we're working on and focusing on. Right. So so you'll have people who go through the ordeal of having the cotton bud-like instrument placed in their nasal passages, apparently to uh, potential discomfort, and, and then be told whether they're testing positive or not. They may or may not have symptoms. But in these uh, f- potentially fatal cases, when when they suffer res- very serious respiratory problems, the CT scans, then they can tell us exactly, perhaps in advance, with life-saving time, how serious that patient is. What kind of interventions would be possible, though? Like, I mean, if you can see that someone's lungs are being seriously affected by this and you might have hours to make a decision... Uh, some of the stories we're reading from doctors is that they've thrown all options at their patient and they just don't know what else to do. Yeah, it's a very difficult thing because when, when, when you know, when the disease takes hold, it can take, uh, move very, very rapidly. But what we, our focus is, is to enable clinicians 
to actually recognize the disease, know that people have this disease, know exactly where it is, and therefore allows a much more rapid decision in terms of triaging that patient, knowing what should happen next to give that patient the best opportunity, whether it's to go to ITU, whether it's to go to other um, areas of the hospital, whatever. It just allows the doctor to make to be much more confident about the stage of the disease and what should happen next. The situation around Australia is very interesting because not only are there relatively few cases, 5,795 at last count, but relatively few deaths as well at 41. Now, I've got to say we've got to be very cautious about interpreting data at surface value throughout this outbreak because there may be differences from country to country in testing and the way deaths are recognised and registered and, and, and so on. But is there anything that Australia is doing in the way it's treating its COVID-19 patients that other countries could learn from? I'm not sure. In fact, if you compare so uh, you compare South Korea with, um, with Australia, the actual incidence of, of the disease per head of the population in per million um, people, for example, is, is pretty similar. Um, the death rate, I believe, in, in South Korea is, is slightly higher than, than Australia per, um, per million. Right. Um, having said that, I, I, to be honest, in terms of are we treating patients differently, I really, really don't know. But I know that um, Australia has been um, very rigorous um, in terms of social isolation and so on to try and keep the um, incidence of the disease at, at as low a level as possible. So they've been very, very strict in terms of uh, what we can and can't do. And I think that is having an effect and we're seeing some flattening of the curve in terms of incidence. But I would agree with you, it's, it's very early days to say what's going to what, what's going to happen in Australia in the longer term, particularly around the mortality rate and so on. So I think we have to be very, very careful uh, to say, you know, we have a low mortality rate at this stage. It's, it certainly seems that the signs are good, but it is early days. Yeah, I mean, per million, as you said, it is lower in Australia, two per million. South Korea at four per million, though, is still correct. Uh, very low. Uh, if you look correct. at Spain as a comparison, that's 285 per million, um, mm, sure. which is... I believe, the highest of all the countries, uh, just at a glance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but again, something like these, these tools, as morbid as it is, they also need to be able to tell us when someone has died, how exactly they did die. For example, if someone has had respiratory-like symptoms but has not been tested for COVID-19 and they've passed away, um, some countries maybe are not going through the... Uh, the rigorous procedure of confirming that that person had COVID-19. So, so, so would you say that perhaps we just haven't got a full picture of the, of the world? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. We definitely haven't got a full picture of the world. And there's, there's, you know, the, the, the level of registration of disease and the level of registration for death varies significantly between countries and even within countries, across different states within countries. So I think... Um, you know, one has to treat at this stage. The amount of data that's been gathered at the moment is just um, overwhelming. And, and, and even under normal circumstances, it would be hard. We would see variability in, the ability, in, in our abilities to register all these um, instances that's, that's going on. So I think under the current circumstances, it's very comparing data 
across countries and even within countries, one has to do with a, a great degree of caution. Another thing that I found really interesting about your technology uh, that you've helped to develop is that, in a sense, it seems to me like repurposing technology that's already there because Detected X, and correct me if I'm wrong, was originally developed to improve the accuracy of uh, breast cancer detection. And we're seeing this with other drugs, for example, in Australia, with the anti-parasitic drug that may be Mm. successful against uh, this coronavirus infection. when you're at a point where we're maybe months away from a vaccine, maybe years away from a vaccine, I guess that's what we have to do. We've got to look at what's available right now. Absolutely correct. It's um, what we did in you know in Australia, uh, in uh, within Detected Act and within the University of Sydney. Is we got together, we got a number of leading clinicians in the country together, and we said, "This is the technology we have right now. Um, surely there is a possibility of adapting this technology." Uh, that can be used uh, for for COVID-19. I think because of the time frame that's being imposed upon us by this disease, it's absolutely necessary that we look that way. And whilst, you know, looking at novel and innovative, completely innovative approaches in parallel, with, uh, but we also have got to look at what we have right now and how we can we can make the most of it. And we sat down and we looked at the technology for, um, that we were using for years of proven technology that we'd published the benefits of in terms of improving people's detection of breast cancer. We looked at that uh, and we thought that with a bit of intensive work and a few sleepless nights, we could convert this to something that would be useful in COVID-19. And in four weeks, we managed to do that. Um, uh, and it was, it was very, very satisfying. We launched it last Monday. We had, since that, we've had now over 100 people in over 120 countries using it. And so far, the response has been overwhelmingly good. You know, that it feel, people feel it, that feel that it's a very, very valuable tool. And I think this is something we've got to face. Look at what we have now, see how we can uh, adapt it. And, and the data that you're talking about around the um, parasitic drug that you mentioned earlier um, is, is, is another great example of this, to see if there's something out there that we currently have that can help. It doesn't mean that we stop doing the other novel and innovative stuff. Um, and that's completely uh, looking at completely fresh approaches to this. But why, why not look at what we have and, and have that research running in parallel? Yeah, well, especially we've got so many examples of multi-purpose drugs out there, uh, don't we, uh, that that would suggest we should be doing this. And um, congratulations on your finding. Just one more thing that I'd like to congratulate you for that you mentioned briefly before. This program is free of charge fantastic to be able to view the circumstances of crisis and to meet that with total accessibility. How important is it that the world actually kind of reviews how it approaches healthcare and life-saving solutions and distances it from the financial models that actually place a lot of burden on, on healthcare consumers? Well, I think it is important. I think within us, we all see the importance of what, what we're facing at the moment. And if there's anything we can do um, to um, um, accelerate our um, defences against um, COVID-19, we should be doing it. And we're very, very aware that money can and will always be a barrier. And if we can get over that, if we can um, um, look at ways in which we can get this tool, and this is our, this is our intention, get this tool to as many clinicians worldwide as possible, 
as quickly as possible, working with people like GE Health and Amazon to make sure, we, and, and Volpark, to make sure with this global distribution. But the other thing that would hold us back is, is money. If we started saying there's you know, a certain cost to doing this, it would immediately reduce the numbers of people mm. using this. So, they, so we, ha- we have to make sure and get it out there as, uh, uh, in a completely free way to encourage usage of it. Well, thanks again for joining us and good luck with any future research you carry out. You deserve all the best, it would seem. Professor Patrick Brennan, University of Sydney. Thank you very much, sir.